Hey guys, it's me, your host, Laura Kemp, and welcome back at the Changing the System podcast. The podcast giving a voice to system changers, whether it's on social justice, art, fashion or politics, or in this case, the system of a country. You might have heard about it. It's called the United Kingdom of Great Britain. This conversation takes place in Scotland. We're going to learn more about the Scottish independence movement. Um, when I just moved to London from Amsterdam, Brexit had just become official, which impacted me. And somehow I was reading the Scottish news and I came across a poll by the Herald which said that more than half of the Scots was now in favor of independence from the UK. And since the Covid crisis, these numbers surged up to 54%, 70% coming from young people between 16 and 34. And I was like, whoa, that's massive! But whenever I talked about this to people in London, like, hey, the Scots might be leaving soon, people didn't really know about it or just responded a bit awkwardly. So I just got really curious to hear the Scottish perspective of this growing pro-independence movement. So I took a train to Glasgow to meet up with Valentina and Alex, who are two young activists that are part of the Young Scots for Independence organization, which is a group of the SNP, the Scottish National Party, the biggest party in Scotland, led by their first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, but also the third party in the UK. First up is Alex Kerr, a 25-year-old campaigner from the east end of Glasgow who was kind enough to invite me to his home. We had a drink and then I turned on the microphone. Oh, Valentina is there as well and she will chip into the conversation sometime but we'll hear from her more properly in about 15 minutes. But here's Alex who just got back from a day of campaigning and knocking doors and here's the interview. And how is independence going to help you? Basically, independence gives us the control over our own economy, our own country, in a way that is totally normal, basically. So countries like Denmark or Ireland or other countries that are similar size to us, independence is the, the, the normal state for countries like that. And you can see it benefits them when you look at sort of tables on well-being and happiness. So we're just looking to rejoin the normal world. <laughs> the normal world. <laughs> yeah, the normal world, as opposed to as an independent country, you know. Though the United Kingdom is not quite normal, you say? I'd say it's not normal. Any, any, any country that has at maximum about, you know, 8.5% 8, of the seats in the national parliament is not a normal state of affairs, I would have to say. Countries everywhere, and, and the EU is quite prized, they decide what happens, you know, that the countries have vetoes over most of what goes on in the EU. That's not something we're in a position to do. We have someone else making decisions for us. Who is making the decisions for you then? So, I mean, it would be the UK Parliament, which is not representative of Scotland at all. So right now it's Boris Johnson, a prime minister that is widely hated in Scotland, a party that's got barely over 10 seats, that is vote shares collapsed over Brexit. So the people that are making the decisions are not representative of the Scottish electorate or what Scotland wants. But you live in the United Kingdom, it's a democracy, and yeah. seats are divided by population. So how is that unfair to you? The fundamental building blocks of democracy are, are nation states. And when we came together as part of the UK, it was a partnership of equals, uh, family of nations. But if you're a family of nations, 
then treating the UK as a nation state itself is not an acceptable way to govern things. And, and that's fundamentally where our sort of problems lie. Just to clarify what this is about, the UK has 650 members of parliament in the House of Commons, and Scotland has 59 seats of those, which is 8.5% of the total. So there's been recent polling that's shown an increase in folk wanting a referendum within the next five years. If you find yourself standing against the public will, it's, it's not a sustainable position. That, 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 and in Scotland, people don't like to be told they can't do something like that. So it will increase support over time. How big is the support right now for independent Scotland? Can you put your finger on it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much as strong, if not stronger, than it's ever been. I think more and more you've seen, like, Labour voters or Tories. Probably Tories go more to lead thems, But Labour voters and people who are exhausted of not getting what they wanted, being like, well, maybe now it's time, like... We, I've been promised this, promised this for once and once, and now I'm done with all these promises. I want actions. And what we offer in the SMP is so much hopes and new beginnings, while what the opposition is offering is the mess that you're in right now. So I guess that brings people like, I can do better than this. I deserve better than this. Who are the people in Scotland that are anti-independence? What... What are they thinking? There's a lot of folk that that is an emotional argument for them, and that's the hardcore vote that that will probably never change their minds. But but these people, a lot of the older people, have sort of you know seen immediately after the war the Labour government that established the NHS and all that kind of stuff. So they, they, their their view of the UK as a state has been has been influenced by that. It's not the UK that we're in now though, and that's that's the key thing. So some of these people never be convinced. A lot of the folk who are interested in staying in the UK, it's more a sort of caution thing, an economic caution almost, where they're worried about what's going to happen to their pensions, their mortgages, all this kind of stuff. So this is the folk that we are working to convince. And the argument becomes easier and easier as, as it goes on because what's happening with Brexit is impacting the value of sterling. What's happening in the UK government as is they're lifting the pensions age further and further outside of folk. So, like, we were out campaigning East End of Glasgow today, and the pension age is rapidly approaching and in some places exceeding life expectancy. So these people are, are not going to benefit from any of this. And that's pretty much the argument that is getting across and why independence is increasing. And I think this election will, will be a, a good barometer of that. In Scotland as a country, we are probably one of the most politically aware countries at the moment simply because of the Scottish independence referendum. But, but pre the Scottish independence referendum, there wasn't a lot of talk about politics. It was all about all kinds of other stuff. You'd hear people, you'd go into your local pub and you'd hear these two old guys who would normally be talking about football or the horse racing or something arguing about currency unions and what you would do with the new currency and what the pension's going to look like. And you still get that little bit. <laughs> <It's like laughs> <that's changed. laughs> About the SNP, it's a party with one purpose, which is Scottish independence. How do you unite all these people with different political views and backgrounds under one umbrella? We are all about independence. I mean, that is the party's main focus, why it was founded. But we are also a social democratic party. So we do have an ideology where we aren't just a totally ideologist party. We, we, we are all about a strong welfare state, 
looking after the poorest and most vulnerable. And and I think in terms of some other folk who are in favour of Scottish independence for other reasons, the SNP is the only reasonable vehicle for delivering the change that they want to see. So folk who may be more right-leaning or whatever, if, if they're members of the SNP, they understand that that is the vehicle to get us to independence. I mean, there's, there's, there's a saying, you need the keys before you can start decorating the house. So for them, getting the keys is more important. How hard do you think the fight will become, especially when it comes to Westminster? Will they do everything to stop you? Or is there a chance that after a couple of months they will accept the referendum results if it's for independence? It's hard to tell. I mean, I think they would find it, especially if it's a legally mandated referendum, I think they would find it incredibly difficult to ignore the results. If, it, if it's legally mandated, and because the, the international community is watching all this, and the UK as a state can't just stand against a result that is very clearly been laid down in law, everything's been sorted out beforehand, they would, they would find that a, an impossible situation to sort of stand with. And, I, and if they did try and do something like that in the future, some hypothetical... That's not the kind of thing that's going to dampen down the calls for independence. It's the kind of thing that would make it totally inevitable. And, and I think they understand that. Well, I hear a lot about how it brings people together and how it's a wave of energy. But has it also drawn a wake between groups of friends or family members? Yeah, so this is one of the things that's quite interesting. What, what we tend to find is it's like sort of a lot, a lot of columnists and stuff who come up with this and say it's terrible, it's driven wedges between families and people don't speak to each other anymore. But genuinely, hand in my heart, I don't know a single family who has had any more than a minor kitchen argument about this, which is totally normal in a functioning democracy. I've never known people who are estranged have had serious fights about it. So I don't know where it comes from. I hate the word separatist because like, uh, it makes us look like the bad guys. Like... I'm pro-independence, not as a party. I don't want to like break everything apart. But I think it's easy for them to say that. Just It's an argument more for us to look like the bad guy. So then if you're saying, like, oh, you're literally causing a social breakdown, you're dividing families, you're breaking everyone and everything. No, it's not true. I've got people in my family who are unionists, and maybe on the Christmas dinner it'll be a way of a Rami. But I'm glad yeah. we can have debates. Within Scotland, I feel like people are talking, but what about the English? What, in terms of how they view Scottish independence mm-hmm. through the lens? I mean, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if much polling's been done, but in terms of the governing party, England, and, and, and to a large extent the rest of the UK, has been kind of totally focused on Brexit. This has taken over all of their political discourse. They've not passed a bit of legislation in the past couple of years. So... We're taking on a lot of the characteristics of a failed state. You can't govern, you can't get any legislation through, you can't even call an election when you like. They're totally focused on that. The Tory party membership, there was internal polling done on them. What that poll found out was that if Scotland becoming independent was a prerequisite to get Brexit, then they would the majority of Tory membership would be happy to see that happen. Now, they're, they're, I'm not saying they're representative of England because they're not at all. But they are representative of the folk who support and, you know, to a large extent, vote Tory, which is the governing party, the majority party in in the UK. Again, showing how clearly divided the politics of Scotland is and the politics of the UK. And as long as that's the case, and it will be the case, we need independence so that we can make sure that what happens in Scotland is decided by us and in our best interests. And that's not to get away from England. It's not because we hate the English. 
it's simply to make sure that what Scottish people want gets delivered. Just because many listeners will be from Holland as well, yep. can you explain to me one more time, just to make sure we've got it properly, how yeah, Scotland is oppressed in the United Kingdom? You know, you'd, you could, because the same arguments would apply if you were a part of Germany or whatever. You would say maybe, okay, well, you're in the National Parliament and you have 8% of the MPs, so that's democracy, so you can just accept that. That's not a normal state of affairs, and that's the key thing that we are all about in the SNP, is, is changing that, making us a normal part of the European family of nations. Working with England, not working as part of this UK state, which doesn't work anymore, it can't get anything through, it's causing us economic harm through Brexit, it's endangering folk who are new Scots from the EU, it's endangering their place in Scotland, and, and in the current setup, there's very little we can do about that. And, and one of the things is, you know, if, if we left and in 20, 30 years we wanted to elect a different government, we could do that. You know, it won't be the SNP forever. Once we get our own Scotland, we can vote for whatever party we want and get it. I sense it's not just about, yes, it's about more control. Yes, it's about being an own nation. But it's also, I feel, an allergy to a kind of cultural tendency yeah. that's happening in, in the United Kingdom or in England. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's all about building a new country. I mean, it's hard. We, we want to move in a different direction. And in a lot of ways, we have already moved in that direction. If we weren't so different where we are politically, where we are necessarily culturally, then the SNP wouldn't be doing so well. Support for independence would have disappeared if folk were happy with the direction the rest of the UK was going in. But they're not. We, we are effectively already an independent country living in this structure. And that's part of why we need to move to a structure that represents that, which is independent. Yes, yeah, Scotland can govern itself. There's absolutely no reason why Denmark could do it. You know, why, why Holland and France and Germany could do it and we couldn't. I mean, that argument, when you put it under scrutiny, which is the argument of the no campaign and the folk who want to keep us in the UK, it just starts falling apart very, very quickly. Like, I mean, we've, we've got one of the most educated populations in the world. I think second to Switzerland in terms of the number of unis in the top 100, if I remember rightly. And our, our natural resources are ridiculous. We've got so much oil, but oil is, is a bonus. Most of the countries of our population size do not have oil and they do perfectly fine. That's a nice bonus. We've got all kinds of stuff in the life sciences. The way we've been treated in the debate with the UK around Brexit, we've been sidelined, we, we've put out a compromise proposal, we keep single market access. The way we've been treated, when you compare it to the way Ireland has been treated by the EU, just fundamentally underlines why we want independence. Because Ireland has been backed to the hilt by the EU. Despite the fact it's a small country, the EU has never once wavered in its support of Ireland, whereas Scotland has been not included in meetings, Scotland's voices, the compromise agreement was just thrown out. I've learned that the SNP is being ignored in Parliament. People walk away when MPs uh, get grab the mic, all that sort of stuff. They can't have it both ways. It can't be you're, in, you're a part of the UK, you just need to deal with this. But also, actually, you're not really a part of the UK. You can go sit in the corner right now, we'll just deal with you later. Yeah, I mean, we've, this debate comes up every single time where, where they attempt to cut us out of the TV Doesn't that debates. make you very angry? Yeah, very frustrating. Yeah, incredibly frustrating. It's just the total unfairness of the whole thing. You know, again, and it comes back to 
the one thing that this argument I feel always loses is a comparison with what is normal everywhere else. Any other country in Europe, if this happened to them, they would be furious about this. Their national party not being represented in national debates is just absurd. But how does Scotland, you know, let that happen then? Well, it's, it's not a question of let it happen. It's a question of, again, why we need independence. It's a question of this the system we are in. So the system we are in allows this to happen. The system does not work for Scotland. It doesn't represent where politics is now. It doesn't represent this new way of working. And over time, we've asked for devolution of all these powers. We've asked for federalism, something that would work. But there's been no movement. And the UK state, as a state, has no interest in reforming itself. It has no interest in reforming the House of Lords. It has no interest in, refor- in reforming the UK Parliament. It has no interest in reforming it so that it works for Northern Ireland, for Wales. So what does it have Scotland. interest in? It has interest in sort of keeping itself going and all the wrong things. It's all about where the power lies. It's not about how the power can be used to improve the lives of people. And it's not about, certainly not about ensuring that all the four constituent parts of the UK have an equal say in how it's governed. It's nothing about that. It's all about pulling up the drawbridge, you know, sort of little, little Britain (laughs) at the moment. (laughs) Just a heads up, uh, Scotland already had an independence referendum back in 2014. It was lost with 48%. So I wonder, why another one? Why is this one going to work? So it's it's to- totally different circumstance. So in 2014, it's understandable why a lot of people voted no, to be honest. What, what we were representing was, compared to what the current state of the UK was, was, was a, bit of a, a bit of a leap. So, you know, setting up a new nation state, all the things that come with it, you know, that can seem like a scary prospect. The the difference is now the argument of stability and carrying on as normal has now been turned on its head. And this is the battle lines I imagine it will be fought on. So in, in 2014, the No campaign were all about, what about your pension? What about your immigration status? You know, what very about, factual. Very factual. What yeah. about the economy? You'll be X many pounds off, worse off. It was um, a very good campaign. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was very laser-focused. It worked. It worked. Mm-hmm. But the difficulty they have now is... What about your pensions? They've spent the last three or four years increasing the pension age for women in particular. The economic damage will be X many pounds mm-hmm. worse off with everything that's happening with Brexit. Every single Brexit outcome, whether a deal all the way through to no deal, is bad for the economy. There's no two ways about it. The Bank of England said the exact same thing. Boris Johnson's deal, I think, just last week is disastrous for the UK economy. That argument doesn't stand up to scrutiny anymore, whereas the arguments that we can make are the same arguments that haven't changed are we can provide a better future. You know, we we don't have to spend money on things like the Trident nuclear submarines, which are outdated and totally useless. I mean, most of the triggers for them and all this kind of material is made in America. So it's just a drain in our resources. Again, all about sort of maintaining that prestige of the UK, keeping their place at the Security Council and things. But instead of spending money on that, instead of spending money on the Iraq war, instead of you know, being dragged out of the European Union, we can go a different path. You know, we can spend this money on looking after the poorest, most vulnerable, bringing everybody in Scotland up. We can work on engaging with the rest of the world. We, we can't, we don't need to pull up the drawbridge and, you know, deal with this scary new world. We can work with everybody else in the EU to deal with what's coming. Because, I mean, the, the way the world is going, a lot of the threats we have, climate change, you know, AI, all these kind of different 
security and things. All these different things, no country, no matter how big they are, can deal with on their own. And that's kind of the fallacy of Brexit and stuff. They're trying to pull the drawbridge up when at this point we should be working very closely with everyone else to make sure that the world we get in the future is better than the one we have now. You're about to hear our next guest, Valentina Cervera Clavel, doing a public speech on one of the main squares in Glasgow, calling for solidarity with Catalan prisoners. After this podcast was recorded, Valentina also announced her intention to run for Scottish Parliament. She only just turned 20. The Catalan people have asked for a referendum. Our politicians delivered. I am too guilty of those charges. I am too a rebel. I am too guilty of sedition. You can imprison people, but you will never be able to imprison freedom or ideas. Conference, everyone in this room is dreaming about independence. But unfortunately for some, it's not coming at a free cost. If we don't stand up now, What's going to help others to stand up when they are coming after us? Because there will be nobody left. Conference, please support this motion for them, for their families, for Catalonia, and for democracy. So are Alba and Visca Catalonia. Thank you very much. Is it a coincidence that you are from Catalonia and now in Scotland? fighting for independence? It's actually no, not at all. In Catalonia, I was as well involved in the international matters. So when I was 16, I met Young Scots for Independence in an international meeting. I fell in love with them. I honestly, I clicked, everything clicked for a long time. Um, through my childhood, I had to move from a lot of places from different situations. So I never had a place where I was based and a place to call home. And then suddenly when I met them, I was just like, oh my God, maybe like, I've been Scottish all this time, you know. <laughs> and thanks to this internationalization, I got to meet them and I got to know the cause and I got to fall in love with it. So then when university time came and I realized EU citizens in Scotland have the tuition fees paid for, it was a no-brainer, really. I just grabbed all my savings. They were not very much. Mm. And then moved to Scotland. How come right now the movement is in such a, such a wave or such a strong position? I think it's all due to Brexit and Boris Johnson, really. We have to thank him for that. <laughs> I think the independence movement back in 2014 was very strong. But I think the fear and their certainty from some voters might have won. The fear did definitely won back in 2014 and the lies, really, from the Better Together movement. But right now people are... They say you can fool me once, but you can't fool me twice. And I think people have realised once Mr... They are just keep fooling them around. They said in 2014, we will have much powers and much bills. Well, it's been like five years, still haven't seen any of them. And while they were saying, oh, if you vote to be in the UK, you'll be in the EU, which was one of the biggest aims people in Scotland had, suddenly Brexit happened. And I was like, oh, you're changing the rules of the game halfway through the play. So I think that infuriated a lot of people because they felt they were lied to. And yes, you were. So I think now people have seen realising how the Scottish Parliament works and how Westminster works, and that's a massive difference. Westminster is not them, it's not respecting the voice of Scotland. Every time one of our SNP MPs stand up to talk, literally they, Jacob Rees-Mogg stand up and leave, and 
with him the whole squad. So it's literally a clear evidence that they don't want to hear about Scotland. Boris Johnson doesn't care about Scotland. If not, they wouldn't be dragging us against our will from the EU. So it's very like, what more evidences do you need? And every time we go canvassing or chapping doors, people are more like, yeah, yeah, I'm tired of this. I want my own country. I want to be respected. And this is what the independence movement is about. So you're saying the promises of the 2014 referendum were not lived up to um, because there was a referendum in, in 2014. Eh? They said it was a once in a generation opportunity. Yeah. So many people might think, well, you've had your chance and accept the consequences of the votes. Yeah, um, maybe that quote was not the best one Alexander could have said, but I think everything evolves we like when in 2014 i couldn't have voted in the scottish referendum well i wasn't even in the country but even for age i wouldn't have been able to vote people grow up people get more informed people things change a lot everything in a second so i think i mean it's like in football if we played a world cup back in 92 and we won it then why do you need to keep playing because teams evolve and people retire and stuff so that's what happened here the case is in 2014 people voted something that it was not what it was sold to. And the, and the time has proven that it was definitely not what that referendum was about. And the fact that Westminster keep acting and on us and passing by every request we have, it's a proof of it's like, well, what the point is us being in the union if we are not hurt. In the deal that Boris Johnson and Theresa May wrote, Scotland is not even mentioned once. That is a big if you know, like if you're not even mentioning the deal that is meant to sign up for your future, then what's the point? Because Northern Ireland is respected, Wales is respected, England is respected, Scotland voted overwhelmingly to stay, and we are getting thrown under the bus. Yeah, because also I read that the Scottish representation in Westminster is 59 MPs, and there is yeah. 650 MPs in total. Yeah. So that's less than London with, I think, 70 something MPs. Yeah, and London is a city and Scotland is a country. Then people can say, okay, but there is more people in London than in Scotland. So population-wise, maybe it's fair. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, London is a city and yes, there might be more people living there, but because literally the industry and everything only focuses there, so a lot of people emigrate from other parts of England just to live in London because their opportunities are there. While in Scotland, we are a country and we are less population, yes, but we are a country, and that doesn't mean we should be less represented. London falls inside England. England maybe has too much power within Westminster. If this is a union of equalities, we're definitely not being equal here. And this is another big sign of Scotland's independence. <laughs> in the SP, we've been proven being in the government for many years that no, we only not care about independence. It is our main goal. But we have having so much social reforms like the baby box, taking taxes out of feminine hygiene products, making them free, giving tuition fees. We've literally scrapped tuition fees and we've built more schools. So that's definitely like we care about much more than only independence. Right. But how do you manage that? How can you come to an agreement then within a party? I'm just curious. I mean, there's obviously, of course, some sides that disagree. But I think when they understand what's best for the Scottish people. They might not agree on that, but they know maybe the people who they are representing come from a deprived area or maybe the women on their constituency, they need those free free hygiene products. 
they understand that and they come to a sense because uh, difference from the other Scottish MPs in the SNP, we know who we are representing. And even if me personally, I wouldn't agree with something, if I know it was the best for the area I'm representing, I will vote for it because I know I'm bigger than myself. I'm representing a lot of more people. So isn't the, is that what the SNP shows, that a bigger purpose can unite people with different visions and opinions. You've put it beautifully there. Yeah, that's what the SNP is about, literally. We are the Scottish National Party, so we are the party for the Scots, and we've literally proven that for many, many times and many years. And that's why we keep winning elections. We've not lost an election in a long time. Touch wood that it doesn't happen anytime soon, but it's because the Scottish people trust us, and we've proven them we can do better, and we pro- we keep doing better, so... There's literally a no-brainer there. I live in London right now. Mm-hmm. Why don't we hear a lot about the SNP or Scottish independence on mainstream news or, or newspapers? Well, because that's what the media is about. I think, for example, the Sky News debate, Dave, it was meant to be only Jeremy Corbyn, Boris Johnson. Joe Swinson started crying. It's like, oh, why are the Lib Dems not there? So she managed to get in. But then they've included the first, the second, and the fourth strongest party. Where's the third? Because I know for sure if Nicola was there, she will literally take them by storm. She's a fierce debater, but that's not what the media wants because they are scared. And I think the more people know about the reality in Scotland, maybe the more support we would get. And it's not what the UK wants. So that's it's better for us to shop us in a corner and pray that nobody Googles Scottish independence. Otherwise, we might convert them. But nobody Googles Scottish independence. <laughs> Please, no, don't do that if you don't want to be transformed. <laughs> I did. Um, so tell me a bit about your relationship with Nicola Sturgeon. Because you were on stage with her. You talk. You are friends, right? How did that happen? She's a role model for me. Um, even before moving to Scotland... I've met her before in different YSI conferences and I had the luck to interview her for a project in my college. Honestly, after that, she's been so nice and always like she gives the best hugs you can have. When I put that motion through, she wasn't there at the table at first. So somebody told me that she saw me speaking. So she came and sat at the stage and I was like, whoa. So at the end, I'm like, overwhelmed for the response and then I look and I see Nicola come to me and she gives me a standing ovation and a hug and then she says on my ear like very well done that was fantastically done and I was like oh my god I could I could not believe that she treats me like like I'm from here and she I feel like she really values me it's not like people say oh she's using you for the media and everything I don't I generally don't feel like that's the case she really she comes from a very working class background as well so she's somebody relatable she's not somebody who is from Eton College you know she's not from Oxford she's somebody who has been real in Scotland and she's so approachable to anybody not only for me but everyone who wants to meet her she's so nice and and welcoming and that says a lot about a leader she's honestly so down to earth, but she's a fighter as well. So I think for me, she's one of the very little female leaders I can look up right now because Theresa May was a mess. Angela Merkel, for me, doesn't do it either. And when it comes to politics, we need somebody like her, approachable, human, but also strong. The Scottish and the Catalonian independence movements are the two 
yeah, most known ones in Europe right yeah. now. And you've explained to me a little bit the, the differences and similarities. But some people in Europe are afraid of a domino effect mm -hmm. and that all regions in Europe, like maybe the Frisians in yeah. Holland or... Uh, we'll, Bavaria we'll, in Germany. Yeah, have, we'll do yeah. the same. Is that a risk in your eyes? Or do you feel like every region which shares a common culture yeah, should be independent? I think it's more about like a historic value as well. I don't think it's like you wake up one day being like, oh, I want to be independent today. I think it's it's something that slowly starts to build up. You see your region or your or your nation being oppressed or you see your rights are not getting represented or you see there's a massive difference that you shouldn't have been there in the first place. So it's it slowly builds up and then... Luckily for us, our central governments start giving us more and more reasons to believe in an independence fight. But if Europe is afraid of that, then says a lot about Europe not being a democratic place. Because when you fight for independence, you go through a democratic process. You ask for a referendum, you talk, you have dialogue. So if it causes a domino effect, it's maybe because there's more regions being oppressed than we think they are. So if people are scared of that, well... I mean, it's people setting themselves free. We should never be afraid of freedom. And if Europe really is scared of that, well, I think the more the merrier. If there's rights and if there's if there's reasons for somebody to stand up for independence, I'll support them. It is what it is. You know, if the country has not done enough for them to want to stay with them, it's not our fault. So I hope there's a domino effect. I hope people who have been oppressed and see they are not being respected stand up with us. And you've lived in the UK now for two years. Two years. Yeah. Have you already gotten a sense or a feeling of how far Westminster will go to keep Scotland in the UK? Do you think it will come to, um, yeah, maybe a real violent altercation? Or I don't think actually. I think the UK has proven it doesn't care that much about Scotland. I think, I think it's more about pride. I think the UK used to be this massive empire. Same with Spain, really. And now they lost it all. So they are now reduced to this wee island. And the fact that they are even losing more kingdoms, I think it must be scary for them and it touches their pride. But I think they don't care that much about Scotland. It's been proven. If if they really cared about us, they will be doing something in Parliament to show us they care about us. It will be having press releases being like, oh, the Prime Minister supports Scotland, Prime Ministers love Scottish people, and it hasn't. So I don't think they'll be that much bothered. I think they will try to do a better together campaign again. But I think this time they will not be successful. People are weak. People are smart. Why do you believe that this time it's going to happen? Because I think we learned from our mistakes in the past. I think we won't let fool ourselves that easily. And I think it's more what's happening in Westminster that we don't want in our home. It's like a kindergarten in Westminster right now. And I think people see themselves more and more disconnected with that parliament. And people don't want that to be where the main decisions are taken. Because in, in Westminster, we need to remember, they take life-changing decisions. Universal credit, drug policies, they do take a lot of decisions that impacts in Scotland. And if you see that yourself, you don't even have a voice inside there, then you are literally being tracked and control however they want to. So I think this time it will be our time. We have seen what Westminster is capable of and what we don't want to be part of. So I hope people 
put things in balance and they will vote for Scottish independence. We didn't talk about Scottish economic future. Mm -hmm. Is that a concern for independence? Can you manage on your own? Because you do get money from the UK government every yeah. year, like quite a lot. How do you see that? We also send them a lot of money as well. So as much as we get back, we give it. But I think we wouldn't be throwing ourselves into this project if, if our leaders didn't know what to do economically-wise. But I think we need to remember Scotland has lots of oil. Scotland has a lot of food and drink industry, like gin. Everyone drinks gin around the world. Whiskey, Whiskey, definitely. So really, Scotland is a country that's proven to be sustainable. And even inside the union, we're already a country on ourselves, and we've managed very well. Even if we got inside the EU, that would definitely be much better. But even, I think, on our own, we will be able to handle ourselves. We will be swimming to the swimming pool if we didn't know what we were mm. doing. Scotland has the most beautiful landscape in the world. And it's gorgeous, but also like the territory, it's massive. So suddenly it will not be the United Kingdom anymore. It will be like England and Wales. Hopefully Wales gets its independence soon, <laughs> but it will just be England. But I think, yes, it's their loss. Not because, let's say, the economical matters, but also of a, of a history and personal one. We're living because of their fault, because they didn't know how to treat us right. They didn't know what to do with us. Then we're living because we deserve better. Mm -hmm. So what have they done to you? Ignoring us, maybe the biggest one, but also like constantly creating policies that has struck Scotland into an austerity situation. If it wasn't for the SNP government in here, we'd probably be in a much worse situation. But um, dragging us out of the EU with our will, making us going through this whole shambles, is not only for Scots, but also for EU national. That uncertainty that I don't know what's going to happen in my future. I don't know if one day the Home Office will knock at my door and send me home. So we're literally putting a lot of our Scots and new Scots into so much stress and anxiety, and that's to blame Boris Johnson and this Tory government. Universal credit has ruined so much lives, and it's keep ruining them. And the benefits and everything, all those Scots are to blame for this Tory government. So they've put us in the mold. We need to rise now. <laughs> What is the difference in the political landscape in Scotland compared to England? Is Scotland more left-wing overall? Can you say that? I mean, the SNP is a centre party, but I I think the policies speak by themselves and we are very left-wing when it comes to caring about our Scots, when it comes to our social benefits and our social policies. We've been proving that a lot. And England is a rich guys' country. It's all these white guys country where all of them studied in Cambridge, Oxford, and the son of the, the, the niece and stuff. So it's all about like that heritage. In Scotland, we are somebody has built ourselves. We Like Nicola Sturgeon comes from the bottom and she made it to the top. And in England, that's impossible because it's literally, that's still like royal lords and history feeling. It's still very persistent. In Scotland, we're just people, you know, and we build our parliament and we do care. And we don't forget where we come from. And that's a big step because when SMPs, MP, MSPs and stuff, they do policies, it's because they know what is happening in their constituencies and they know what's best for them. So that says a lot when other politicians definitely don't do that. They care more about their bank account than what's happening in their area. Young Scots for Independence, it's a big movement now. Mm -hmm. What do you guys do for fun? When you work so much with somebody, 
We work a lot of hours. We see ourselves maybe too much. But when you work together with people, you need to make sure you've got a good relationship. Otherwise, the project is not going to go on. We have a lot of social events. We do subcrawls, uh, which is, they're very fun. But we care about each other. When somebody's having a bad time, we make sure we're there for them, or at least we care for them. And we try to make that with all our members. So we try to give opportunities for our ordinary membership as well, outside the executive committee. But we're young people at the end of the day, and we have fun, and we are like normal people. We just spend a lot of time talking about politics. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Valentina. Thanks for uh, having me. Good luck with the movement. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, that was it. This was the first episode I recorded, and since my return from Scotland, a couple of things happened. A formal request for a second independence referendum was denied by Boris Johnson, who keeps saying how crucial it is to keep the union together. And the coronavirus broke out, which took over the national conversation. But when you ask me, the Scottish independence movement is alive and kicking. I could hear that Alex and Valentina were already becoming a bit trained in speaking like politicians, which they do very well, by the way. But then I went for a hike, and I went to a bar called The Bell, and spoke to some other people about it, saying I was just a Dutch girl trying to learn. And then the real emotions poured out, a total sense of urgency. A man called Neil gave me a leaflet with reasons why Scotland can manage on their own, some new Facebook friends asking me how the podcast is going and if I need any input. I haven't spoken to Scottish unionists, the people that want to stay in the UK, so I've only focused on one side of the story. And I have to admit, as a European, I sympathize a little bit. I did understand the feeling of frustration and unfairness of not having a proper say in the kingdom you're a country of. But I wonder what you guys think, especially the English listeners. What's the meaning of the union to you? And how would you feel if the Scots left? Well, you can join the conversation on at LauraListens on Instagram and find Changing the System on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you very much for my Scottish editor, Ewan McAleese, and for Ian Blue for the music. Changes on the way, trust me, it won't stay the same. Yeah. 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 Yeah.